Hello there and welcome to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Now some people don't realise it, but there are two Congos. The larger Democratic Republic of Congo, formerly known as Zaire and the Belgian Congo. And then there's the Republic of Congo, formerly French Congo, which is a fraction of the size, both in area and population. Migrants from the Republic of Congo are also far more scarce to find, and so it's something of a privilege to have met Charles, my guest in this episode, to hear about his experiences of first being brought up in a rural area of the Republic of Congo and then going to a larger port city to further his education before coming to Australia via Malaysia. And he now works at the University of Tasmania's School of Earth Sciences. Charles Makundi um, was born in the uh, Republic of, of Congo, which is um, a, sea, a seaside uh, you know, uh, country located in the central part of Africa. And what kind of environment did you grow up in? Was it, like, was it urban or rural? Uh, what, what was it? Uh, initially, um, I was actually born in a rural area mm-hmm. initially, and then, you know, as time passed by, and then I moved to a, you know, a big, bigger city. That happened when I, when I completed my primary school. Okay. Uh, I was about um, nearly uh, 10. So, you know, I left the, uh, that rural area to, to, to find more opportunities. Yeah. I would probably say um, in most African countries, this is a kind of a common story. I mean, many of us are born in rural areas and then it will come a, a stage where you feel like you know that rural area cannot contain you anymore mm-hmm. any longer so you, you have to move move out and and go and find more uh, academic and uh, work, work work opportunities somewhere else yeah so what are your sort of strongest memories of your your childhood and uh, that rural area where you grew up in it's still vivid in my mind now as i speak uh, it's when uh, my father became blind okay i was about uh, five or six, my father became blind. I took uh, early retirement. And um, I remember looking after my father, you know. Wow. Yeah, 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 looking, I mean, my mom was still alive, but uh, I used to take my father around, you know. My father would say, Charles, take me to a, a restaurant, a cafe, you know, a nearby cafe, and then I would take him there with, with his stick, you know, holding okay. a stick. But he was still relying on me as, as like, you know, what we would say here in Australia, a, a guide dog, right? So, but I was not a guide dog, I was a human, a human guide. <laughs> so I took him to places where he needed to buy something and, 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 you know, he wanted to hang around with me. And so, but it was like a sweet and sour experience, you know? Sour because it wasn't, it, to me, it was like a, a something unpleasant at mm-hmm. that early age, you know, having a yeah. father who is blind. Sweet because I wanted to enjoy as much as I could, you know, with my father who was still alive back then. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility for such a young child. Mm. Did you have uh, other siblings? <laughs> yes, um, I'm born from um, from a family of three. Mm-hmm. I'm the last born. Okay. Yeah, so small family. From <laughs> from an African perspective, a small family. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's what because I was we thinking. talk about we talk about having ten. 12 children, then you have a big family. Yeah. So having a family of three, coming from a family of three, it's just a small family, yeah. The first one, the first born is a, is a girl, the second a girl, and the boy was the last one, which okay. is me. 
So is that why you got responsibility for your father? Yes. And then also from the African, African uh, culture, um, generally uh, the last born is, uh, you know, we sometimes we use the word Benjamin, uh, very much um, looked after. Right? Okay. Yeah, really much loved, sort of, so to speak. And, and sometimes the two, the two sisters become like jealous. Uh -huh. How do you love Charles too much, you know, a lot than, than us. So. But anyway, uh, this is how it functions. And then another, another point that I don't want to miss out is, is that um, as a child, coming from a, you know, a family of three, uh, the, two, the two others are only girls. For us, from the African uh, culture, it's like you become like their brother. And you, even I can even go too, too far and say that I, I became like you know, the, the firstborn because you're a boy. Mm -hmm. So there is a sense of uh, responsibility, sense of authority. That small rural area, probably uh, four or five well-known, you know, uh, schools mm -hmm. uh, where everyone could go to. And uh, I was going to the uh, what we call there back then the uh, the boys' school. Okay. Like here, probably in Australia, we also have that kind of girls' schools, a boys' schools. So I was going to the boys' schools. What kind of um, environment was that? <laughs> was it that you grew up in? The city itself was probably as close as. 500,000? No, 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 that's too much maybe. Uh, 200,000 200, people living in that city, you know, and, and, and the surroundings. But in Africa, it was, to, to us, it's a big city. Yep. Having 200, you know, 200,000 people is already a big city. So that's about population. But in terms of um, infrastructure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good. It's, I can. I, I still miss it. I still yeah. miss that that, that that area. We've got ro roads. We've got um, companies. Uh, I remember there is what one big company, uh, timber company. They were the mining company. They were actually uh, exploiting. I think they were mining manganese. Okay. Manganese. You know. So yeah. So it was a sort of a more of a, you know. Um, Vibrant, more of a vibrant okay. uh, yes. rural area. It's not like, like like a rural area where you have plenty of paddocks uh, with with cattle uh, around. Uh, you know what I mean? No, it's 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 about a mix of a it's about okay. a mix of a type yeah. of a life. In my country, um, I think the the first economic lung so to speak is petroleum so we breathe from petroleum we, we do everything so but then uh, this is what we call the black the black oil mm -hmm. we use the term black oil to refer to petroleum and we use gold oil to refer to timber okay <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so tell me about the going to high school when you had to move move away yep did your whole family move or did, were you like going to boarding school oh very good it's a good it's a, it's a, it's a very good question that takes me back, in, you know, uh, along my um, historic uh, lane. I remember it was actually my brother-in-law, yeah, the second born, you know, my, my immediate elder sister, so her husband said, ah, now look, we, we, we don't want to see Charles, you know, um, you know, ro you know, rotting in, in, in that rural area. We have to bring you out from that rural area, you know, for better opportunities. So he came, he came himself. Not even with my sister. He came himself, right. you know. Yeah, because he was also uh, he was well, well, well positioned, highly regarded. Uh, he was working for the same railway company, okay. which my father worked before, before, before his retirement. So he was, uh, you know, he was. I think he was an engineer. So he came. He said, Charles, 
I came to, you know, to, to, to take you out from, from this area. I was, I was glad and, uh, you know, it, it was like, oh, a dream came, you know, a dream, you know, come true. And so we left the uh, rural area and then went to Pointe Noire. I, feel, I don't know if you heard about Pointe Noire. Pointe Noire is it's, uh, it's by the sea. So it's uh, actually what we call the economic cap capital. And Brazzaville is the political cap capital. So cut, cutting a long story short, so we went to Pointe Noire where I, then I, I enrolled in the um, public uh, high school. And how was that? Did you find that very different from your previous experience? Oh, yes, yes. And there is something I uh, actually forgot to, to tell you is that when I was in the rural area there, when I finished my primary school, uh, I started, I think, the first or second year of, uh, of carpentry. Okay. Yeah, carpentry. So I, I learned about how to cut woods, you know, using the tools and so forth. But then... I was, I didn't like it anyway. I, I thought I, 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 would, I would be a carpenter, so I, I didn't like it at all. And although, although I have uh, some, some background, background ideas about people who succeeded in carpentry for, for making an industrial profession. Uh, but then being in that rural area, I thought that, look, where, the, the, where this carpentry field is going to take me to, you know? Yeah. So I, I said, no, no, no. I just uh, said, no, 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 I, I have to put it in a drawer and forget about it. So anyway, so in Pointe Noire, I, I, you know, I enrolled in, in a public school to, 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 to do general studies, like uh, learn about maths, read maths, read chemistry, read physics, and so forth. Yep. Yeah, so in, in that time, did, was the, did you sort of start to get a feel of where you wanted to go in life? Uh, not really, not yeah. really, not really. It was still, uh, you know, um, like coming out of the blue and, and, and then learning the urban life now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so we say, we say, we use the word, you were like a villager, you know, living in a village, and then you come to the city, so you have to learn the city way of life. Uh, I would probably say that it's like uh, day and night, you know, compared to uh, the rural area, which, which is called Mosenjo, that city. Point Noir is... Yeah, it's well known. You can Google it. You find it. Yeah, very big city, you know. And I have to find my way. I have both my feet on the ground, you know. Yeah. And um, especially for my education, yeah. Quickly, I, I begin to, to sort of settle. And surprisingly, I, I did well in maths. From carpentry to 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 a, a, a big shift. There's a big shift there because when I was doing carpentry, it was like a, what we call a vocational or technical, you know, yep. uh, you know, uh, school. But then a shift to a public school where you you got general general um, you know subjects like maths, chemistry, and physics. But surprisingly, I did well in maths, and I was I think among the you know the best in maths and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. maths and chemistry. Uh, do you remember what your first impressions were of? arriving in this city and, and trying to settle there? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> from an African perspective, I, I think I was like in a relational vacuum because people in the city, they relate differently, you know, compared to people in rural area. Mm, yeah. In rural area, you know, you can, you can if, you, you feel, if you feel like salt, you are about to cook something, you like salt, you just go and knock on your, your neighbor's door and then you get salt. Yeah. You know, in a, in a vibrant uh, city like Pointe Noire, it's, it's a different story. You know, people tend to be like um, individualistic than be having a sense of, uh, of, of a community. So in Pointe Noire, I have to rebuild from scratch, you know, yeah, right. you know what, what, what actually left behind in, in the rural area. Yeah, I got friends there, but you have to make new friends in Pointe Noire. So making new friends in a big city like Pointe Noire, it, it was a bit challenging. 
But I guess you learn a whole of new life skills there as well. Mm, uh, yes, uh, the, the thing I remember um, working on uh, so much was um, uh, determination. Uh, you know, I, I learned to be, to be determined, to be committed, you know, and I also learned about time management. Because, I mean, in a rural area, nobody cares about time, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when, when, I, when I came to Pointe Noire, I became more aware of what time, that time is money. And, and especially um, the way uh, the teachers, the lecturers run schools in, 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 in Pointe Noire is, is, is the opposite than what we do in, in, in rural area. So there was a time management uh, factor. And also, uh, I would probably say, um, could I say also a micro cultural shock as well? I mean, you can, you can, have, a, you can have a cultural shock within a culture. Yeah. What I mean by that, you can live in a country where you have a culture that actually govern or control people's mindset. But if you move to a small city, there's kind of a micro-culture as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, I remember when I was close to um, going for the uh, O-level exam. Uh, we do we do all, all, the, all the exam, you know, and, 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 and go for three more years before you complete your your A-level exam. Mm -hmm. So when I did my O-level exam, and then, so I begin to daydream now. Begin to daydream, what would I do in my life? And, and I remember having the idea of becoming a, a doctor of, um, of medicine. I thought about, oh, why not I, you know, become a physician, you know? Uh, so that was the first, the first uh, plan I, I, you know, my my initial plan I had. So then I would start, start working towards that, you know. Uh, and people told me, look, if you want to do uh, uh, medicine, then you you got to be very good at maths, chemistry, and physics. And and I remember brilliantly, I finished my O-level exam brilliantly uh, with very good marks in, in in chemistry, physics, and maths. That led me into um, what we call um, uh, high school, uh, yeah. No, college, I would say, college. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the three, the three years before, yeah. 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 So uh, that led me into a, into a college um, program, which lasted uh, three years. And so after that, uh, I got my A-level a exam, which made a way for me to the uh, faculty, of, uh, faculty of Science, mm -hmm. down so there. So you also then went on to university? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to, I went to uh, the university, uh, Marengwabi University. I did my uh, bachelor's of science degree and my master's of science degree uh, by coursework, wasn't by research. And um, yeah, so I finished up, you know, with my master's of science degree in, in geology. And uh, was there any reason why you gravitated towards geology? Was that just where... Very good question. I remember... When I was growing up, mom used to say, my late mom, uh, peace be to her soul, because she passed away in 2010, uh, mom used to say that, uh, Charles, I don't know, you used to be playing with stones mm. when you were very young. So I don't know how that connects to, you know, me choosing the, the field of geology. But anyway, uh, I ended up being uh, a geologist, uh, finishing up my, my master of science degree. So I would probably say it's my love for maths and, and chemistry because you do geology, then you have to know, uh, you have to be quite good at maths and, and, and physics and chemistry, those three in particular. In 
doing the course and, and completing your degree, did you, you sort of get concept of where you wanted to go with it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think um, the picture started becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. But again, when I got my A-level a exam, when I passed that A-level exam, I, I did, uh, I think I did, I did go for a, another, another test. Because I still, I still, you know, the, the idea of uh, becoming efficient was still lingering in my okay. yeah, was lingering in my mind. But for some reason, I failed, and then I begin to realize that look, I think I probably need to become a scientist, and that was probably uh, the pathway that led me to that. So where did where did things go after you graduated? After my graduation with my uh, master of science uh, degree uh, by coursework in geology, I then find a job. I found a job in one of the petroleum companies called, uh, you may have heard, called, um, it's Italian company, Egypt. Uh, it has changed the name now, it's, it's Eni now. But anyway, <laughs> I became interested. I became interested to actually pursue, pursue my, my studies uh, overseas. And one of the things that I should, I should mention in this interview is that my sister, you know, my, the second born, she, she probably noticed the way I, w I was uh, dealing with, the, um, with, with, his, with her friends because she was also working in the petroleum company. But that's Total, you know, the French company, you know, called Total. But anyway, cut long story short, she said, Charles, I think I, would be, I should be bringing to you uh, books written in English because you like English. So, okay, no problem. And she started bringing books to me. And these are mostly, you know, scientific magazines, you know. Where, and then one day, I found the University of Malaya, which is the Malaysian university, uh -huh. top one university in Malaysia. Um, they were planning to organize a conference on geology. And that's why I found, I found the address and said, oh, look, I should write to this university. This is the university I would be going to. Just like that. And then I wrote. I wrote to the, uh, to the head of the department, uh, Professor uh, Azar Yusin. And from that point on, he replied and said, "Yeah, we are interested. Send me your send me your documents." And then, and then I applied for for, for a master degree in classic sedimentology uh, because I, I thought I should specialize, and mm -hmm. uh, and I was so very keen to to do a, a research degree because back then it was a course by coursework. So then I went to Malaysia, ended up in Malaysia, did my masters in, in, in by research in classic sedimentology at the University of Malaya, which is top one university in Malaya. I was privileged enough. To, to have a spot there and, and completed my master there. And so going from there, how did you end up uh, coming to Australia? Oh, I like that question because okay. <laughs> there was a strong connection there. How did I end up coming to Australia? So after completing my master's, master of science in classic sedimentology by research at the University of Malaya uh, in Malaysia. So, and I went on um, working for a Canadian company and then once upon a time, the, uh, the manager of the company approached me and said, Charles, there's a professor of University of Tasmania who wrote to me and said uh, he's looking for uh, a PhD student. Uh, would you mind applying? I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. So uh, then I applied and I got uh, uh, what we call the uh, Australian Postgraduate uh, Award Scholarship. That was interesting and I, I couldn't let it go. I said, okay, I, I, better, I, I better finish my my, my work and complete my, I completed my, um, what I was supposed to do. Uh, the, I did my reports to, to the company. 
And I said, yes, I'm going to Australia. And so Tasmania was the... Tasmania was, was, was the place, yes. Yeah. And did you know much about Tasmania before No, you no, back there I didn't know much about Tasmania. I only know, I only know that uh, Tasmania was uh, different from, from, from Kuala Lumpur, you know. Yeah. With the, because in Kuala Lumpur we have what? We have tall buildings there, skyscrapers, yeah. which we can't find here. And I remember my wife saying, where are we going? I, sh- I showed her some, some postcard and she said, oh, this is Tasmania? Oh, it, it looks weird. I said, no, 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 we should, go. we should go there. That's the place to go. Yeah, right. Do you remember what your first impressions of Hobart were? My first impression was at the airport <laughs> when, when we landed. Uh, probably, probably the dogs, the, the security dogs, the, the, the dogs oh, that... The quarantine dogs. Yeah, the quarantine dogs that, you know, checks, uh, try to check uh, whether you have uh, drugs or, or, or not. To me, I mean, it may look, it may look insignificant, but for, for me it was a message. That look here... This is Tasmania. This out looks like different from Kuala Lumpur, you know. Uh, this is a Western, you know, Western world style of life. So I find it very interesting that um, look at the airport. We could we could actually have this kind of high quality security put in place. Mm. Um, I like that one. Yeah. And then uh, you know we went through the, uh, the quarantine corridor, and then yeah, that was the first impression I like. Yeah. Secondly, was uh, the um, probably the closeness. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the closeness of um, the airport to the... Um, it was very close because Kuala Lumpur International Airport is far away yeah, from <laughs> far away from the city. Yeah. What did you perhaps find were the most uh, challenging things to have to adapt to? Uh, let me start with the academic side. Uh, to adapt to the academic side was... Um, a lot, but um, a few points. Number one is how to deal with your supervisor when it comes to dealing with stuff undone and things, turning the stone together. So I remember um, punctuality was a key. In Malaysia, it's, it's not that um, practical, right? But here, punctuality is, I mean, punctuality, especially from our department, when, uh, dealing with uh, an emeritus professor as a supervisor, you, you know, it was not just easy. So, yeah, so I learned to be punctual uh, with my uh, supervisory uh, meetings and things like that. And also uh, the quality of your work. Yes, quality matters. So, uh, and I also learned about being consistent. So these are the things that uh, begin to pick picked along the way. Community side, in Malaysia, for for your information, you, I think I haven't told told you that Malaysia was more more into pastoral work as well. Okay. So I left the church there mm-hmm. in Malaysia. Here, I, w- I, w- I was I, I was supposed to be under you know under someone. Or, okay. Or, yeah. So that's why that led me to uh, knowing City Church, which is a uh, Christian City Church here down here, and um, just be a member, you know. Uh, so, which. Which is which wasn't bad at all. So so community side was that, and and then the other the other aspect was um, to sort of um, regain momentum in terms of how you how you relate with people in your community. Okay. Yeah. So you 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 coming from Malaysia where you have church members, you know, every weekend they used to visit us. Here you come here, you sort of starting from nowhere, right? Mm. So like re- rebuilding a new life. Yeah, so yeah, so we made we made friends. We co- keep on making friends to t- t- this day, and um, 
I really enjoyed it anyway. Yeah, so in terms of misconception of what people can say about uh, Africans or, or at least uh, African-born um, Australian, I think it's probably in the area of the way we see how life could um, could be shaped around our worldview. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Uh, we have a different worldview, especially we are so much embedded into culture. This I have to I have to stress it during this interview. Most Africans are very much embedded into their culture. They forget about they they they, they find it probably hard to navigate around a new culture. Mm-hmm. I think that's I should stress on that very impo- very importantly. Why? Because, for example, some Africans they tend to assume things mm-hmm. than verifying facts. See, so some will learn it the hard way. So what I've, what I've un- understood is that since I came to Australia, never assume things. Mm-hmm. In Africa, we tend to assume. And this will, you know, this will you know, cause us to be in a, in a, in a sphere of uh, you know, uh, misconceptions, yeah. so, 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 you know, so to speak. So never assume. This is, uh, even African that hear this interview will agree on, uh, upon, upon what I'm saying. We tend to assume, no, never assume, okay? Verify facts, know that the facts are real, then move on. Okay? So this is one, 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 one aspect. Never assume, verify facts, make sure that you're on the same page with, with what you want to plan or what you want to do, you know. So that's one thing. And probably the second thing would be um, the new way of life, especially from the legal side of it. Okay? I mean, everyone should agree. Uh, most Africans would agree that, you know, uh, in many African countries, there is corruption there. Yep. You know, I mean, I can't hide it, you know. Uh, the, the facts are there on, uh, on internet, corruption. So we, we have to make efforts that that level of corruption that is there shouldn't affect us when we go overseas. Mm-hmm. Okay? I mean, it can affect you directly or indirectly, doesn't matter, but that level of corruption shouldn't be there. So... It shouldn't be something that we continue to drag us, you know, but we should be immersing into a new culture, which is the Australian culture, the Western world culture, you know, on living a life of integrity. I should stress on that, a life of integrity. If you want, you want someone to verify facts on you, why can't they do that? You know, <laughs> you know that's very important. And this has been uh, probably uh, a matter of quarrels or, 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 or discussion or, or misunderstanding or debates, you know. So it's very, very important that we should let go all this unnecessary baggage that mm-hmm. we, we carry on, we, we carry, we, we, that we carried out of Africa to, to Australia. We should uh, live a life where we receive a big tick on integrity. Live a life where we don't assume. Live a life where we get along well with our colleagues, you know, and um, the rest will be taken care. So yeah, so that's some of the area I think we, uh, as Africans, we, we 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 get caught up. I mean, that's some 
good advice for, for Africans, but w what about for Australians who try to understand the African way of thinking? Mm. Uh, what, what do you think they, what would be some of the important things that they should know? Now, first of all, it, it will probably take time. It will take decades to actually <laughs> come to a point where we realize how can I deal with this African brother or this African sister or this my colleagues, African uh, woman uh, or men. Uh, it's hard. I think, let, let, me, let me just try to divide into two groups. African, I mean, African born from an African family living, living in Australia, but they're born here, yeah. but, but attached to an fa African family. It should, it should be different from those who were born in Africa. Yeah, yeah. Okay, came here, okay, as refugees or through studies or, 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 or through, uh, you know, um, skilled, uh, skilled migrant uh, visas. So, so there are two groups there, okay? Now, let me just deal with uh, those who were born in Africa, all right? Because it's going to be very much easier for those who are born here yeah. because they start learning the way of life, yeah? They'll sell the way yeah. of life right from day one. Okay. But those who are born in Africa, yes, when they come here, so how do they, how do they, uh, Australian um, peers, on how could they perceive or how could they get along well with those ones? Uh, I think, as I said, it will take time because to get to know the culture of someone else is, it's, it's a learning process. Yeah. It's a very long learning process. What do you think would be the first thing that they should know? Perhaps as a, as a bit of a starting point. Yeah, I think the first thing they should know, they have to know what, what actually do Africans perceive as an offence, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do they perceive as an offence? Is it the way to talk to them? You know, is it the way to, how we write, how, how we write to them? Is, is there a way to approach them? So these are the things that those who are born here should learn how to, how to tackle that. So what's an example of, of something that might offend uh, an African person that would not be if necessarily offensive <laughs> in Australia? <laughs> is, there, is there anything in particular? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, um, now, let me just put it on, my, on, on myself. Yeah, yep. yeah that, that would help. Uh, on myself, mm, if, let's say if... Uh, an Australian fellow, peer or brother or workmate, uh, come to me and talk to me nicely for something which is truthful, something which I've done something wrong, mm -hmm. okay? And, 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 and then the workmate come to me and say, uh, look, Charles, uh, this is the way you should do things. Uh, you should do it this way. If, if the person talks to me nicely, uh, I will get along well with the person. Mm -hmm. Now, from the from a cultural perspective, you should not approach an African and and just and just speak loudly. Yep. We don't like it. Right. Yes. You see. So the, for for us, we think we think that the more you raise your voice, the more you belittle me. And this is how the way we, way we were brought up. Okay. Yeah, we, we think that, ah, this is very interesting now. We think that when you are talking about, talking to, to a person, you should lower your voice, mm -hmm. especially to an elderly person. We respect elders and um, we, we always want to speak 
you know, nicely when you're speaking to Elliot. But here, uh, now, now let's, let's, let's look at this, this, this scenario here. You are talking to an African who is not younger, which is older than you. So we expect, uh, you see, this is where, this is where, you know, it, it, it bleeds. We expect you, regardless of your color, to speak nicely to me because I'm older. Yeah. You see? Yeah. So we bring that kind of mindset even into our workplaces, into our church. You know, down in, I'm talking about Australia. You know, wherever we find ourselves. So, and then the other fellow will struggle with that because this person is culturally inclined. Tell me about what you're doing um, here currently. Because we've sort of talked about what brought you here, but what are you doing now? So like I said, um, I, I completed my PhD in geology in 2016. And then straight after my graduation, um, I ended up starting a new, new role at the University of Tasmania in the Center for All Deposit and uh, Earth Sciences as a, as a postdoctoral um, researcher. So I'm more into mining, so I'm an expert in, uh, in economic geology. Um, I do more into um, modeling metal, metal um, and rich um, geological environment. We, we want to know how much of, uh, how much of metals we, we've got in, 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 a, in, a, in a, any given geological sample, uh, like how much gold we got, uh, copper, lead, zinc, uh, and so forth. So we an, I analyze them and, 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 and model them and, and, and then um, advise the companies where they should go to, to get more gold or copper or zinc or lithium or other critical metals. That's what I do. So I'm the chairman of the Tasman African Community Forum and I also, I'm also, also the treasurer of CIDAT, I don't know if you heard about CIDAT. CIDAT is a culturally diverse alliance of Tasmania. Yeah, so I've been very much involved into community work, volunteering, of course. <laughs> but I think uh, we have a lot to offer. I would, I would say that uh, we need to do uh, a lot in terms of um, uh, raising awareness of, um, of the existence of God. Mm -hmm. I do believe that God exists. And uh, I have my own, uh, own, uh, my own uh, spiritual experience. I'm, for your information, I'm writing a book on um, um, working with God, a learning curve. That's the title of the book. I'm actually writing the last chapter on um, distinguishing the voice of God and the voice of the devil. So, but anyway, that's spiritual stuff. And, um, but the way... I see the, uh, the atmosphere of, the spiritual atmosphere of Tasmania, uh, it's slightly a bit different from what we, what we see in e Europe or America or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, not coming with a judgmental mind, but the point, my point is we need to do a little bit more on uh, that side of, 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 of the gospel to spread a lot in Tasmania. We need God here. <laughs> yes. Spread more, talk more about God and so forth. Uh, so with that, I'm yet to know what is next for me, what God has in store for me. Um, as I said, I'm still serving as an associate pastor at City Church. 
So, so but then we see what we see so what with what we see in the future what I would probably do uh, on on a personal level. Is that something that uh, comes from your upbringing in the Congo? Or is it something that you've? Oh, very! It's a very, it's a very good question. Uh, look, um, <laughs> talking about God, I remember when I was uh, about fourteen or fifteen, I got a dream, and Jesus appeared to me in a dream. Simple as that. Jesus appeared to me, but look, as a man who is trying his very best, publishing in science. It's hard to convince me when it comes to God. Mm -hmm. But I came to a point of conviction, you see. Um, and even somebody asked me a question, how do you try to manage science and theology? Mm -hmm. where, where is the mixing point? Where, 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 is the, where that zone there where you find comfortable? I said, no, no, no. When I think as a scientist, I really think as a scientist. I got uh, now about 23 publications. So I think as a scientist. Yep. So when it comes to God, I shift. Okay? And I realize what God has done in my life. And I shift. And I do spiritual stuff. So, yeah. So this is how I can answer that question. 